0: We're going to do something a little out of the ordinary. Normally, we're going through the Bible, and we take our Sunday morning messages out of the passage that we're covering in the evening. And uh, this this year, I really felt like I wanted to focus on uh, the fulfilled prophecy in the event, uh, the historical day that today is. Today in the church calendar is an important day. It's called Palm Sunday. It's called Palm Sunday because that's the day that the people grab the palm branches and with cries of, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus of Nazareth entered into Jerusalem riding on a donkey. So only time really in his whole ministry of three and a half years where he allowed himself to be proclaimed as Messiah. Most of the time he told people when he raised someone from the dead, he said, don't don't, don't tell anybody. He wasn't really interested in creating this uh, craziness and the chaos of crowds and Many times when there were huge crowds coming and they wanted to make him king, he would slip out and disappear and go to tiny villages. Jesus is not like any person <laughs> you've ever met. He's not like any king you've ever met. He's he's uh, unbelievable. And this particular day is an important day, and I really felt from the Holy Spirit that it would be good for us to focus on it. So we're going to look at a lot of passages in the Bible and read a lot of different verses, and we're going to go quickly. So I think. Uh, most of you probably are digital. If you're paper, you're going to be going fast with your paper Bible. If you're digital, you'll be able to go, do, 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 you know, get to the table of contents, get to the places. So, uh, all four of the writers uh, of the Gospels, the accounts of the life of Jesus, tell about the event that we call Palm Sunday. And I want to read all four of those, and then we'll go through and we'll, we'll consider uh, the prophecies that are fulfilled. Uh, in the event itself it's a it's a very significant uh, thing so Matthew 21 is where we'll start we're just going to go Matthew Mark Luke John right in order so Matthew 21 starting in verse 1 says now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them go into the village opposite you and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her loose them And bring them to me, and if anyone says anything to you, you should say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come to Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. Then Mark chapter 11. Starting in verse 1. Now, when he drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said to them, Go into the village opposite you. As soon as you've entered it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has sat. Loose it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? say, The Lord has need of it, and immediately he will send it here. So they went their way. And found the colt tied by the door outside on the street, and they loosed it. But some of those who stood there said to them, What are you doing loosing the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Then they brought the colt to Jesus, threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their clothes on the road, and others cut down leafy branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna! Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Then Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, and in this case, it starts in verse 29. Luke 19, verse 29. It came to pass, as he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, Whereas you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus. And they threw their clothes, their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Then John chapter 12. John 12, verse 12. John 12, verse 12. Then the next day, a great multitude that had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him and cried out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. Then Jesus, when he had found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written about him, and that they had done these things to him. Lord, as we consider this event, and we consider uh, the fulfillment of prophecy in this particular moment in your life and in your ministry. We thank you, Lord, we have your word in our hands that we can we can read it in our own language and an accurate and trustworthy translation from the original languages. Thank you, Lord, for preserving it through so much turmoil and difficulty in the world and genocide attempts and all these different things that uh, have happened, but you've preserved your word so that we know that we can uh, have uh, the truth as it's been recorded and that men moved by the spirit were able to write these things down and and record for us so that we wouldn't have oral tradition lord we thank you that we have it in writing and that we know lord we have ancient manuscripts so many thousands of copies of from the first century of the new testament and we have the dead sea scrolls thank you for those gifts to us lord that we know uh, the truth of the things that we believe in that our faith is not a blind faith but a faith that's based on reason and truth and reality and we thank you lord for speaking to us we pray you'd bolster our faith and stir up our hearts and encourage us this morning as we seek to be your disciples and follow you in the days that we're living in so lord show us uh, Show us yourself and your faithfulness that you're a rock and speak to us, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, I didn't really necessarily put those uh, verses in any other order than the order of the New Testament, except for I really like that we finished with John's account, because when John finishes what uh, he records of the, the moment, John adds in John chapter 12, verse 16, that the disciples didn't understand these things at first, so as the event was happening, They weren't really realizing the fulfillment of the prophecies. John quotes the prophecy. He was one of the disciples who was there who didn't understand in the moment. So he's speaking autobiographically. He says this is a fulfillment of this prophecy in Zechariah that the king is going to come on a donkey. But he says, when it was happening, we weren't tracking. (laughs) We were in the moment. We were excited about what was happening. We were all shouting hosannas. We were his disciples. We were looking for this kingdom to come. But he says, uh, the disciples didn't understand this at first, but when Jesus was glorified. Because Jesus' uh, uh, perspective or or, uh, his understanding or his purpose of coming as a king was to come and sacrifice himself, to take up his life three days later, to rise from the dead, and to extend forgiveness of sins, not just to the Jewish people, but to every human being who would ever live. That God would make in the two groups, the Jews and the not-Jews, together in one, in Jesus Christ, and that he would come again in the future to establish his kingdom upon the earth and to reign in power, to fulfill the prophecies of his reign, dashing his enemies like broken pottery. He'll rule them with a rod of iron, Psalm 2. Great prophecies about the, the, the powerful establishment of a righteous kingdom upon the earth, but that's not what he was doing in the first coming. It was a rescue mission. There was going to be a rescue mission before the establishing in person of the Messiah's kingdom upon the earth. That will happen in the future. Those prophecies will be fulfilled. But thank God, because if that kingdom would have come, you and I would be outside. At least, I'm not Jewish. I'd be outside of it. I'd be judged. I'd be lost. But God loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. So the son comes on a rescue mission that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus would die on the cross and rise from the dead. The disciples, though, before the resurrection, didn't understand this. And it was later, they look back, and John quotes that verse. These were the things that were happening. That moment was a spectacular moment of fulfilled prophecy. And he says, in the moment, we didn't know. (laughs) So they were living through this incredible thing, and they didn't recognize, wow, way more was happening than we understood. We had a narrow focus, but we remembered that these things were written about him. And I just love that phrase. These things were written about him. Jesus didn't just appear out of nowhere and say, hey, I'm the Messiah. Let me do a bunch of supernatural miracles, and then you guys will know I'm the Messiah. There's someone coming, by the way. There's a person coming. The Bible warns us about him. He's called the man of sin. He's popularly known as Antichrist, but he's going to be called by the world, not Antichrist. He's going to be called the Christ. There's a person coming who's going to claim that he's The person that we've all been looking for is going to unite the world. He's going to bring peace. He's going to call himself a man of peace. But he's he's going to bring the worst time in human history, and he's going to come with supernatural power. There's going to be a person who joins him, a partner in crime, who will be able to do many miracles. That The Bible says the miracles will be so powerful that if it was possible, even the elect could be deceived. So that even, even if someone who knew the Bible would be watching and saying, Man, this is amazing. I can't even explain this. This isn't sleight of hand. This is supernatural power. But the Bible says not all supernatural power is from God. It says there are many spirits. They're not, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. So there's going to be a supernatural thing. Jesus isn't that person. When Jesus came, he fulfilled all the things that were written about him. So over 300 prophecies that... that that sort of direct us to an individual who would come, who the the Bible, the Old Testament, promised Israel a king coming, who is called the Messiah, the Anointed One, who would be the Savior of the world, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who would establish uh, righteousness, who would deliver people from the power of sin. So many prophecies, over 300, about where he would be born, what city he would be born in, how he would die, so many. And in this particular day, and John says, we weren't realizing it on that first Palm Sunday. We were singing about a kingdom that we were wanting to have happen right then. We wanted to get rid of these dumb Romans, get them out of our lives, massacre them, kill all the Gentiles, let us rule over them, leave enough to serve us. We want us. Remember John and his brother said, we want to sit at your right hand and your left hand when you come into your kingdom. Shortly, Jesus is going to be crucified with a guy on his right and left, left hands. <laughs> Maybe they thought later, like, what were we asking for, you know? The hour in which he's glorified and when the Son of Man was lifted up on the cross. Two were sitting, two were hanging, right? One on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, it's not for you. You will drink the cup. You will be baptized with my baptism. But to sit at my right hand and my left hand when I come into my kingdom, it's not yours. They they didn't really understand what was happening. John makes it clear, but he says, after his death and after his resurrection and after he ascended into heaven... The Spirit was poured out on us and then we started to go back through our experience with Him and the things that happened and we started to realize this was amazing. These things that were written about Him. He didn't just show up and do magic tricks and ask everybody to believe in Him. He fulfilled every single prophecy about the Messiah for the first coming and He's going to fulfill every single prophecy about the second coming. Not one of them will fall to the ground. Fulfilled prophecy is a wonderful gift to us. It is a foundation for our faith. We do not believe simply because the Bible says, you best believe. We're not not believers because we were threatened. Well, if you don't trust me, bad stuff's going to happen to you. God invites us. He says, come now, let us reason together to the Jewish people. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins were as scarlet, they can be as white as snow. Our faith isn't a blind faith. God's never asked anybody to exercise a blind faith, and we don't believe simply because the Bible tells us to believe. We believe based upon reason. Our faith is reasonable, and God's given us reasons for our faith. Paul puts it like this in Romans one twenty. so this is where you can start getting on your horse. We're going to go to a bunch of Bible verses. I'm not going to uh, wait for you, so... But get there and read them. These are important verses. If you're taking notes, uh, remember these and, and check them because this is um, this is important. We believe for reasons. One of the reasons is the creation itself. I'm um, to set this uh, at the beginning before we get to fulfilled prophecy because fulfilled prophecy is better than this. It's a better revelation, but to the most basic revelation. Paul says in Romans one verse nineteen, speaking about the degradation of the culture. To move away from God, he, 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 he says, Romans 1, 19 and 20, Because what may be known about God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. Every single human being, because they were made in the image of God and are living on the planet, has a revelation of God, and they'd be guilty if they weren't looking for the invisible God and wondering who he is. Um, God holds us accountable. Verse 20 is the why. How could God do such a thing? Well, he says in verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. This is one of the reasons why it's such a damnable heresy of the, the, the theory of evolution. It's pushed on to people as though it's fact, it's provable. That's the most logical explanation for the nuance and, the, and the, the beauty of the creation that we live in, that it's all an accident, that's just the stupidest thing in the world. But it's, it is pushed. Why? Because people don't want to acknowledge God. But Paul says, God said, you're without excuse. If you live in the world and you don't look at the world and it doesn't put you in awe and make you think, there's got to be more. There has to be more when you see a child being born, when you see a beautiful sunset, when your heart is thrilled by music, and you're like, why are these melodies making me feel these things? How am I connecting to these wavelengths? Is it, is the, is it just a naturalistic explanation? That's the foolish, most foolish thing in the world to believe. You'd have to decide, I don't want to believe in God, and I'm looking for any excuse to not believe in God. And that's, you know, that's the culture we live in. It's much like the Roman culture that Paul was writing to. So the creation... David wrote this in Psalm 19, Psalm 19, 1 through 4. And he's going to talk about the two ways God speaks to us. First, the creation, and then secondly, the word. I just want to look at the first part. Because in the creation, God's spoken to us in the creation itself. In Psalm 19, verses 1 to 4, the heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. For us who are followers of Jesus, when we experience nature, we're not worshiping the creature we're amazed. <laughs> the, 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 the amazing creativity in the creation. We, it just inspires worship. It declares, the heavens declare the glory of God. And we see the earth and we see his handiwork. And we're in awe of him. We don't worship the creature. He says, day unto day utter speech. This is verse 2 of Psalm 19. Day and today utters speech; night and tonight reveals knowledge. Day and night, the creation is declaring the glory of God. If you go out at night, that creation will clear, declare to you the glory of God. An owl will fly by your head and scare you to death. In my backyard, I got these big oak trees, man, and haven't seen the owl really, really recently. But I've been out in the backyard, and I thought maybe how I was going. You know, like they go by, and there's, we've had some big ones, and uh, and they're silent. Man, he's like all of a sudden the shadow changes. Whoa! Whoa. It's awesome. It's like I'm glad they're smaller. You know, like if they were big, you'd be like, you would have had a new pastor. The owl got what happened? The owl got him. You know. Thank God they're small. You go out at night and you see the Milky Way. You get a telescope and you point it at a nebula and you look and you think, whoa, what is that? What's happening there? What are the forces? You research it, you look, and the Hubble telescopes manage this, and these guys are measuring the gamma rays, and there's this much energy, and what does that all mean? I have no idea what it means. It's incredible. This many light years, this the expanse of it. But then they tell you it doesn't go everywhere. You're like, wait, what? Yeah, it's bound. It's, it's not It's not infinite. Well, what's on the outside of it? Well, nothing. Well, if there's nothing, that means there's something. What is it, empty space? No, it's not empty space. There's nothing. No. <laughs> What does that mean? Well, it had a beginning. The universe had a beginning. The universe isn't going to go on. I mean, scientists have proven the universe had a beginning and it doesn't go on forever. What does the Bible say? Oh. And the Bible says, in the last days, scoffers will come saying, where's the promise of his coming? Everything's been going on. Nothing changes. Fulfilled prophecy is our greater gift. This, This speaking of creation day and night Verses 3 and 4 of Psalm 19, there's no speech or language or their voice is not heard. Their line has gone throughout the earth, their words to the end of the world. It, it speaks, the creation speaks every language. If you speak Mandarin, if you speak Spanish, if you speak Portuguese, if you speak English, if you, whatever language you speak, the creation is speaking your language, isn't it? It goes everywhere. Day and night it will speak to you. But we have fulfilled prophecy. We have a gift given to us, and this comes through the Word of God. You don't have this without the Word of God. You have the creation, and you should know. I've met people who didn't have a Bible, and all they had was the book of creation. They didn't know Jesus. They've never heard his name. They didn't know anything about the Bible. And I've shared with them about God who created everything. And I talked about the gods that they had, that they had made with their own hands. And I pointed out, you made that God with your own hands. I'm talking about the God that made you. And I have had this experience so many times. You don't have to worry about the person who's never heard. You have to worry about the person who has heard and has hardened their heart. Because I've met the person who's never heard. And I've heard this countless times, sitting in a remote place with someone who's never heard the gospel. And I've heard these words repeated to me over and over again. We always knew there's a God, there has to be a God. You can't explain the things that we see. There has to be. We just don't know who he is. And these are the gods that we receive from our fathers. And so we're trying to appease them because we're afraid of them. But yes, we've always known there was a God. (laughs) And I I think of Psalm 19. I think of Romans chapter 1. I think, well, here are some very smart people. They've been reading the book, the book of creation. But we have a better book. There's a better book. There's better reasons to believe. Those are, th- that's enough to make you without excuse, by the way. So if you say, well, I'm an evolutionist. I don't, I don't believe in anything you're saying, Rich. Well, you're going to meet God one day and you can explain that to him. And then he's going to hold you accountable to the truth that you should and that your excuses and your straw man doesn't hold any weight. The straw man will burn up in the fire of God. The fulfilled prophecy that we have, it's, even, it's actually even greater than an eyewitness account. And I, That's why one of the reasons I wanted to read all four of the accounts, they're slightly different, aren't they? They don't contradict, but this writer emphasizes this. This writer emphasizes that. Even when they're talking about what the people are saying, they don't even say word for word exactly the same thing. It's not like the guy sat down and go, okay, how are you going to write this? I'm going to say, like, okay, we well, make sure we don't contradict. It's like every eyewitness account, right? I've been a pastor long enough to know that some of you are going to hear this sermon and think it's the best sermon you ever heard and some of you are going to walk out going oh, i don't know what that guy was going on about right eyewitnesses same event right someone's gonna say well what was happening you have one perspective someone had a great time someone had a terrible time someone said wow i made a bunch of friends someone's gonna go no you even talk to me so eyewitnesses they're not that trustworthy okay they can establish some things and you can learn some things. You gotta have eyewitnesses, eyewitnesses, you get several eyewitnesses and they're green on certain things and they're trustworthy eyewitnesses. You you but you're gonna get these different perspectives. Fulfilled prophecy is better than an eyewitness account. It's not an opinion, it's just reality. It was did, was this said, what was said, what happened? So Peter puts it like this, speaking about the eyewitness account. He's encouraging the believers. 2 Peter, chapter 1, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 21, he says, We did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we didn't sit around and make this up and try to find some fancy story invented by the apostles Which, by the way, they're accused of. That's an argument today that's a pretty popular argument. Jesus was just a guy. He was doing some stuff, and then these guys invented the whole thing. Peter says, that's not what happened. So the guy who was the guy accused of this, him, Paul, the other apostles, he said, that's not what happened. He says in verse 16, continuing, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He refers now to his eyewitness account, verse 17, he was with Jesus. He received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. He's, he's saying, I was there. I heard God say this. It was Jesus of Nazareth. God spoke from heaven. This is what God said. I was standing there and I saw it with my own eyes. We were eyewitnesses of this. But look at verse 19. This is a little bit, it's translated different ways, and it, it's a little bit, it, it could be, trans, it's, there, I wouldn't say it's an ambiguous phrase, but it's a phrase that, it's an interesting way of saying this, and so the translators, uh, they're not uniform in how they translate it. I love the old King James translation the best. I'm reading from the new King James. After he says we were eyewitnesses, then verse 19, he says, and we have the prophetic word Confirmed. Or, or uh, the old King James says, We have the word of prophecy made more sure. The verb is the idea that, that what you can really trust, this, this is the surest thing you can have, is the word of prophecy. Peter says, We're eyewitnesses. And then he says, But we have the word of prophecy. And it's sure, it's made sure. The eyewitnesses, you can look and go, well, these, these, do these eyewitnesses agree? Is it, are you worth trusting? They, they're not contradictory, but they're giving us different... This one emphasized this, this one emphasized that. They—they kind You put them all together, you get the whole story. But we have something better than that. He says, we have the word of prophecy, the prophetic word confirmed, which you would do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place. And friends, are we living in a dark place? And a light that shines in a dark place... We're about to be living in a time when you're not going to know if anybody actually wrote you the note that they wrote you. We have a young guy in our church who may or may not be in this room right now who's a teacher who said, I'm using the chat AI to send letters to the parents. How right? I just looked right at him. Sorry. I want to give him away, you know, give away his identity, but he's saving time. It's probably, probably those letters are nicer than the ones he would have written. We're about to live, we're living like it's a dark place. It's crazy what's happening. What a crazy time we're living in. Peter says, You would do well to heed the word of prophecy made more sure. You'd be, you'd be, you would do well to build your life on a firm foundation while you're living in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. And then he adds, verse 20 and 21, Know this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation. You're not allowed to just say, well, I think it means this. Well, Jesus is on a donkey and some of us are donkeys and we're idiots and Jesus has to kind of corral us and ride us or other God's world's not going to, you just make it up, whatever you want. No, it's a donkey that no one ever sat on and some of us are donkeys that no one ever sat on. No one will ever rule over us and Jesus has to, you just start making stuff up. No, it's not. It's not open to any private interpretation. You can't just read it and go, I think this means this and that means that. No prophecy is a private interpretation. Prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. So it's reliable. It's an anchor. It's worthy of trust. Think of the rock climbers that use anchors. I like the word anchor. Isn't that a great word? An anchor. What does that imply? Well, it's, it's rock steady, and you're not rock steady, and you need to be tied off to that bad boy, or your boat is going out to sea, or it's going on the rocks, or you're going on the reef. Or if you're a rock climber, hey, don't worry, follow me, I'll set the anchors. You better trust the person who's setting the anchors. Why? Because you're hanging off a cliff. You're on the side of a mountain. The anchor, it's holding you in a dangerous spot. I remember uh, an auto shop when I was a kid, had this crazy uh, World War II vet who was teaching us auto shop, and he had this thing that he would do. You bring in your cars, We, if you got ahead, you could bring in your own car, and you could work on it at the school, it was always a... Fun thing, and you jack your car up and put it on the jacks. And he had this habit, and everybody understood it. And he explained it to us. So you got your car on jacks, and Mr. McNally would come over and do everything in his power. He wasn't a big guy, but he would run and belly slam the the car. He would do everything he could to knock it off the jack stands. And so, you, if you're going to put your car on jack stands, Mr. McNally was going to do everything in his power to knock the car off the jack stands. And and so yeah, there was a couple stories where some guys had not done a good job, and he not actually knocked it off. And then their car was on the ground, you know, on the, on the hubs. You know, it was, just, it was like, oh man, how are we going to get it back up? It was a big trial or whatever. But you know, everybody knew because you're not going to climb under that car that thing's going to fall on you, right? And so to this day, if I'm working on my vehicle, if I go under something, I can just hear. I almost can't remember his voice. I'm getting old. I can't really remember what he looked like, but. I just know, like you, don't get under something unless you are sure it's not going to fall on you. So, <laughs> we have the word of prophecy. What are you building your life on? And let's think of this moment, this Palm Sunday, and the fulfilled prophecy, because uh, they're fulfilling prophecy. Uh, the first part of the prophecy I want uh, to, first prophecy I want to look at is the fulfillment of. Of this in the singing of the Hosanna song, save us, Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the king of Israel. so uh, let's start with that, and the objection of the Pharisees. It, remember in Luke's account in Luke nineteen when Luke was explaining that story to us or giving us that story, verses thirty nine and forty as he finished it, he said, some of the Pharisees said, "Teacher, rebuke your disciples because they understood. The singing of that song, that is a specific moment in time. This is the day that the Lord has made. We're going to be rejoicing and be glad in it. This is the revelation of the King of Israel. This is, it's not a song for David. It's a song for the son of David. That, that prophecy from the Psalm 118, everybody knew that that's a song for when the Messiah comes. So the disciples are singing the song and the religious leaders are like, no, you're not. Change the station. Tell your disciples not to sing that song. Why? Because they knew they're singing they're saying, "You're the king, you're the Savior, You're, you're the Messiah, this massive crowd, and we're going into Jerusalem, and it's four days before the, the Passover. It's an important day. They knew what was happening, and Jesus knew what was happening. That's why Jesus said, "I tell you, if these would keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Why? Because this song is going to be sung on this day. And if you make these human beings stop, these rocks will start singing the song. The Hosanna song is going to be sung because this is that day. It's about a specific day. Let's look at Psalm 118. If you have your Bible, you can turn there quickly. If you're not good at turning in the Bible, Psalms is easy. Just open right to the middle. It's pretty much like smack in the middle of your paper Bible. You'll be close to it. It's before Isaiah. I went to Isaiah. Maybe it's a little bit before halfway. Psalm 118 verses 24 to 26 are the verses that they're singing. This song is a thousand years before Jesus comes into the world. One thousand years before Jesus comes. And if you say, well, maybe the Christians edited it later. The Christians didn't edit later because we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. We know we have the Septuagint translation that's before. So we have a Greek translation of this that we know happened before the Messiah came, before Jesus came. And we have the Dead Sea Scrolls. We have... We have proof that these things were written at least 200 years before the Messiah, but um, we believe they were written by the, uh, by the people who proclaimed, you know, declared the right. And so this is a psalm of David, Psalm 118, verses 24 to 26. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, that's the Hosanna. Hosanna is a Hebrew word, it means salvation. It's a, it's a cry for help, and it's a, it's a cry of victory because of the help. It could be either one, depends. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. It's a song of hope. It's a prophecy about the coming King, the Messiah. Uh, It's a song about a specific day that the Lord has made. That's what verse 24 had said. This is the day. This is the day when the Messiah is coming and the people are declaring this is that day. That's why the Pharisees were angry quick examination was that there's a certain day there's a longing for salvation there's the coming of the king but let's read the verses before verse 24 and 25 and the verses after and make a larger because the remember like with all songs you can't just remember part of the song once you get one of the part of the song it goes in your head so so these guys they know the this this is their songbook so let's re, go back earlier to verse 21 we'll read from verses 21 to 28 And we'll add some things to the prophecy. The psalm is being fulfilled on that day. Psalm 118, verse 21, I will praise you for you've answered me and have become my salvation. God is being praised because God has become their salvation. Verse 22, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. There's going to be a rejection. God becomes salvation, but there's a rejection that's going to take place. This was the Lord's doing. It's marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. Verse 27, God is the Lord and he's given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords to the horns of the altar. You're my God. I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. A stone rejected by the builders but becomes the chief cornerstone. A sacrifice being bound and offered on the altar. The cry for salvation and the answer is bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar. A rejection, God becoming our salvation, uh, a sacrifice being offered. This part of the prophecy is remarkably fulfilled. And literally, the song that they were singing, they, the people were testifying, this is that day. Now, there's another prophecy that's mentioned. It's from Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9. And I'll go ahead and turn there so you give you a chance to find it. Zechariah is harder to find. But if you can find the New Testament, here's my trick with Zechariah. Find Matthew, find the Gospels, and it's Malachi, than Zechariah. So I'm there, so I have it in my notes, but I, I got there pretty fast. Zechariah 9, verse 9, we're told this. Rejoice, Greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. How will we recognize the king of Israel when he comes? He's coming to you. He's just. He won't be a politician. He won't be manipulated. You can't bribe him. He speaks the truth. He's just. He has salvation. He comes to be a savior. He's humble. He's lowly. He's riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. How will we recognize this king? Well, he's coming on a certain day. This is the day that the Lord has made. From Psalm 118, he brings salvation. He's going to be rejected. There's going to be sacrifice. We add what they say riding in on this donkey is a fulfillment of prophecy, Zechariah 9.9. He's going to be just. He's going to have salvation. He'll be humble. Which king of Israel ever ever entered into Jerusalem on a certain day, the day? We'll talk about that in a minute because that day is prophesied. On a, on a donkey, riding on a donkey, humble and bringing salvation. He won't be like any other king ever. I want to go back uh, to the passage in Luke. Um, we didn't read these verses, but I but this is important to the story. Uh, I stopped right before this. If you go back to Luke 19, to verse 41. Luke 19, verse 41. When Jesus rides in and they say, tell them to stop, you know, saying, Hosanna, he said, the rocks will cry out. Then as he draws near to Jerusalem, listen to what he says. Luke 19, verse 41, as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. And he said, if you had known, and listen carefully, if you had known, even you, especially in this, your day, this is a moment in time, a specific day the things that make for your peace, but they're hidden from your eyes. The days are coming upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you and surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave one stone upon another. Did that happen? Actually, that happened. Days were coming. But he said, you didn't because you didn't recognize your day, because you didn't recognize the time. You didn't know the time of your visitation. Jesus is holding them accountable for not knowing the day. Why? This is a specific day foretold by the prophets. In Daniel chapter 9, if you want to turn there, it would be important for you to turn there and read this for yourself. Daniel chapter 9, Daniel's fasting and praying, seeking God for the deliverance of the people. They've been in Babylonian captivity. It's going to be for 70 years they're at the end of the 70 years. He was in one of the first groups to be taken away in captivity. You can count. He's an old man. Now he's probably in his 80s or 90s. He's been there for, it's like 70 years. Of the calendar, we're there, you know. We're at the end. He's fasting and praying. You know, Lord, what are you going to do? How are you going to deliver your people? He's praying for Israel. And then he gets a message from an angel, and it's an, it's an amazing message. And it goes beyond the 70 years of captivity. He's told in Daniel 9, verse 24, it's not just 70 years. Seventy-sevens, it says weeks, but remember with the Jewish people, there's a week. We use the word week, we're using it exclusively for days. But remember for them, there's a week of years. You were farming for six years, you take the seventh year off. So some of you farmers you wish you were in Israel. You could just take a whole year off. Every seventh year, you take a whole year off. So a week of years, you could have seven groups of seven years. Then you have the year of Jubilee. So it's not exclusively today's. And this is important because there's 77s, literally, that are determined for your people. That's for Israel. Your holy city, that's Jerusalem. Verse 24 says, To finish transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the Most Holy so a, a prophecy that's speaking about a, a specific, discrete amount of time. Seventy sevens. Seventy times seven is four hundred and ninety. So four hundred and ninety of somethings is going to bring an end of sin and reconciliation for iniquity and everlasting righteousness. And we'll find out about this discrete period of time. Verse 25, we're given a date, a starting point to know when to count. Verse 25 says, Know, therefore, and understand That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, and it gets given in two blocks of time, seven sevens and 62 sevens, that equals 69. They're going to happen in two, he's given two discrete blocks. One is the street's going to be rebuilt, talks about the rebuilding of the wall and troublesome times. So seven sevens to rebuild as they come back, and then 62 more sevens until the Messiah comes. From the commandment to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. Who gave that commandment? Did that happen? Did, was there a leader who did that? Yeah, it's recorded in the book of Nehemiah. We know the person in secular history. We know actually the date it happened. March fourteenth, four 445 BC. Artaxerxes, Longimanus, gave the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem. So you say, okay, well, 69 sevens, the Messiah is going to show up. When they're singing, "This is the day that the Lord has made," the Messiah is coming on the day that God said He was coming. If you, if you did the calculation and added up the leap years, I've not done it. I've accepted the research first from uh, Sir Robert Anderson from about 100 years ago, a Scotland Yard knighted, uh, very gifted, kind of the old school, you know, they' were all polyglots back in the old days, speaking all these languages and knowing everything, and um, they didn't have Google. Now we're all as smart as the whole world, right? So uh, he saw the prophecy, and they knew when the date was. Daniel's calendar is 360 days, so we convert the calendar from ours is 365 and a quarter days. That's why we have a leap year, but they had a 360-day calendar. If you take the 483 years, convert them to 360-day years, you have a certain number of days, 173,880 days. Just multiply it. If you count from March 14th, 445 B.C., you count that number of days, it's April 6, 32 A.D. Palm Sunday. Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, and they're saying, this is the day that the Lord has made. And an angel had told Daniel, hundreds of years earlier, you'll know when the Messiah is coming. And Zechariah said, you'll know him because he's riding on a donkey. He's humble, he's just, he's bringing salvation. He's riding on the colt, the foal of a donkey, and David prophesied, you're going to sing songs of salvation, but bind the, the sacrifice to the, to the altar. Look at Daniel's prophecy continuing. It's fulfilled. Verse 26, after those 62 weeks, remember the, two, the 7 and the 62 together, the second discrete amount gives us the 69. Verse 26, after those 62 weeks, the Messiah will be cut off, but not for himself. Daniel's told them when the Messiah comes, his kingdom is not going to be established on the earth in the sense that you're thinking when he comes, he's going to be cut off, but it won't be for himself. Well, New Testament believers, what do you think that means? When the Messiah came, what happened to him? When he came in and they declared that he was the Messiah and heralded him as the king, and the only time in his ministry when he let it happen, what happened just a few days later? He was cut off, but why? Not for himself. Who was it for? That'd be me. He died for me. He died and rose. He, gave, he gave an offer of salvation to one of the thieves on the cross. Today you'll be with me in paradise. He was cut off, but not for himself, for the criminals, for the sinners, for the self-righteous, for whoever. Then we've got the future fulfillment. I'm going to leave that. We're not trying to cover Daniel 9 altogether, but uh, there's a lot about the future in that because there's one last seven-year period. So this day was foretold. That's the prophecy. Either it happened or it didn't happen. You don't need an eyewitness account here. Was there there a decree given to the Jews to rebuild? It didn't happen in all times of history. They were were given a decree to rebuild. Happened once. (laughs) And we know which day it was. So you could just count it. It either happened or it didn't happen. If it didn't happen, the prophecy didn't come true. If it did happen, oh my goodness. That's amazing. A king did arrive on that day on a donkey bringing salvation who was cut off but not for himself, who was sacrificed, Yes, the rocks would cry out. Of course, the prophecy is being fulfilled. There is another way that that God speaks to us through His Word, and it's with uh, the the word the theologians use typology or pictures. A type is like a in the old school. Remember a typewriter? Some of you are old enough. You did a typewriter. Some of you are old enough to remember a manual typewriter, where it's really the ma- the ma- the acceleration and the mass of your amazing finger muscles. You know, you you strike it. There is a mechanical advantage and. You know, that, those little things like, remember how they would just launch out? Uh, and then there's a ribbon of ink, and then it just, bah, and it's type. It's a type. That's what called call a typewriter because it leaves an, a mark. It leaves an impression. So typology is the marks in the Old Testament of the New Testament reality. Jesus, rejected by his brothers, but he's the Savior, Joseph. Right? Like it's a mark. The reality is Jesus, the mark, well, it's the Passover. The Passover. Jesus is going to be crucified on what day in their calendar? A Passover. So what about this day? What about Palm Sunday? Is there anything that happens related to Passover on Palm Sunday? Yes, actually. The Passover passage, Exodus 12, if you want to turn there, Exodus chapter 12 as God's announcing to Moses and Aaron about the Exodus and, and, and how it's going to be something that they'll remember forever, and it's going to affect their whole calendar. It's the beginning of their year, Exodus 12, 1 through 6. The Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month will be your beginning of months. It will be the first month of the year to you. Speak to the congregation of Israel, saying, On the tenth of this month... Every man will take for himself a lamb, according to his father, a lamb for the household. If the household's too small for a lamb, then let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of persons. According to each man's need, you'll make your count for your lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or the goats, verse 6, then you keep it until the 14th day of the month, and then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel will kill it at twilight. The lamb is chosen on what day? The tenth. And then the lamb is sacrificed on the fourteenth. Palm Sunday is the tenth. Jesus is crucified on the fourteenth. The typology. When Jesus is coming in, and Psalm one eighteen says, Bind the sacrifice with cords to the altar, and they're saying, This is the king, and John writes later saying, We didn't fully understand what we what was happening. But after he was glorified, then we remembered these things were written about him. On the 10th, when the lambs are being presented to the priests, are these acceptable? Can we offer them for the Passover on the 14th? Jesus Christ is presented to the nation, and the people say, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. The Passover lamb is being presented to the people, and he's acceptable. Without spot, without blemish. Coming into Jerusalem... Fulfilling the prophecy on the very day that Daniel was told by the angel to the exact day, riding on a donkey. So, why do I believe in Jesus Christ? Because the Bible tells me I have to believe in him with a threat? if you don't believe, I'm not threatened into faith. (laughs) I don't see how I could not believe. I would have to be a stubborn, proud, arrogant person to say, well, no God's going to tell me what to do. This is incredible. There's nothing like this. And we've only considered like, like three prophecies and a typology. There's 300, 333 prophecies concerning the first coming of the Messiah. One last thought to end with. And go back to one of these guys' accounts. Let's try uh, Mark 11. And I want to end with this for just an encouragement for you. We're considering what God has done in all of it, but there's some part of the story that I love, and I want to encourage you in this. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing the word of God. May God increase our faith and stir up our faith and give us more boldness to trust him, knowing that he is trustworthy. But there's a part of this that I think is so wonderful. The day that the Lord has made, something only God could do, fulfilling these crazy pro- like Nobody could say this is going to happen and have it happen exactly like this. It's impossible. But there are two unnamed people who play a significant role in the story. They steal a donkey. Two unnamed disciples of Jesus get to be invited into this amazing... This is the day that... If you had only known this in the day of your visitation, and for the rest of their lives, there's two of these guys, and they're not named... That maybe the statute of limitations on donkey theft, you know, they get permission, I guess, so maybe it isn't technically a theft. They're told by Jesus, go into the town, you're going to see a donkey tied up, just take it. Uh, I have a couple questions about that, Lord. Well, don't worry about it if they ask you to say, the Lord needs it. Go to Target today, and you see a Lexus, just take it. You'll find a Lexus running. And uh, just get in. The keys will be in it. And if and if someone comes up, if the owner comes, just say, the Lord needs it. Right? Put it in a context of reality. I mean, you think of it in terms of, this is the day that the Lord has made, the day of your visitation. Jerusalem's going to be destroyed because they didn't recognize the day of their visit. I mean, this is a... On a a scale, you can't think of this as such an important moment. The Passover lambs are presented and the Lamb of God who's going to die once and for all is presented to the nation of Israel on 10 Nisan. He's going to be sacrificed on 14 Nisan, the first day of the month. He's fulfilling the picture of the Passover perfectly, but there's two unnamed disciples that get to be invited to participate in it on a particular day to play a role in the story. I think, you know, I love fulfilled prophecy. I think it's very important for us. But there's other times when I think this is my favorite part of the story. My favorite part of the story is that Jesus looking at the group of the disciples and said, Hey, you two guys, <laughs> go into that village over there. You'll see a donkey. We need the, the colt. Bring, don- bring the mom and the baby, and the colt, you know, and, and bring him. I need him. If someone asks about it, just say, I need it. You know, I think that's normative. I think you can look at, look at the world that we're living in right now. Is God, does God need to do a work? Is it, is there's a work that needs to be done It's far beyond all of us, right? You look at the world, you think, oh, my goodness, Lord. Only you've got to do something. And, and God needed to work on this, this global scale or these large-scale things. But here's really how, it, how we can apply it to our lives, I think, practically, is just be, just be like those two disciples. They could hear Jesus. They were close to him. They were listening to him. They were ready to go so he could speak to them and they could play their part in the story. It's a small part, but I I think it's kind of a a, a cool part. Uh, They maybe didn't even totally understand what was happening. But I think just application-wise, you know, obviously we're trusting for certain reasons. This is an important day. This is the day that the Lord has made. We're celebrating it today. This is the day the Lamb of God was presented to the people of God. Four days later, he's crucified for all of us. He's fulfilled every prophecy. I mean, what an amazing, amazing work God has done. We have the eyewitnesses' account. We have the work of God that He's done in our own lives. We have the veracity of the text itself, the preservation of the text. We have the archaeological support of the text, but we have the fulfilled prophecy. What an anchor for us! But let's uh, let's close with that. Stay close to Jesus like those unnamed disciples, playing their role in this very significant moment. Stay close to Jesus. Listen to him. Do what he says. Exercise in your faith. Why? Because he's awesome, (laughs) and he's not done. He is not done by a long shot. So, Lord, help us. Pour out your Spirit upon us. God, we pray for a a great move of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We thank you for doing what only you could have done. Thank you for declaring it in such a way as that we would, we're really without excuse looking at the creation, but how much more that we have your word. How could we not believe in light of what you said, like what you spoke to the nations, weeping over Jerusalem saying, if you would have only known, this is the day of your visitation they were told how he would come. They were told what day he would come, and he's weeping because of their hardened hearts. Lord, let us not be like that. Let us be like these two unnamed disciples who are just with you. Maybe you don't totally understand what's happening, but if you say it, we'll do it. Let us walk in that simplicity with Jesus, listening and obeying, and then watching you do the amazing things that only you could do. Bless your word to all of our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Rich Chafin. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Rich's teaching ministry by visiting cclc.org.